0: This is The Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own
1: it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to The Illinois' podcast. The Illinois' Cutting through the noise of Illinois' politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Well, hey there. Live from my basement here on a Wednesday, it's uh, the Illinois live stream podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write uh, where we uh, write a political newsletter and uh, have a website and uh, do fun things like this live streaming newsletter. So our live streaming podcast. So thanks so much for for being with us. Uh, it's the first week of veto session in Springfield. Uh, very little happening uh, this week uh, in, in terms of... Uh, uh, what's what's going down at the Capitol, and and uh, and and especially in the the realm of the Pretrial Fairness Act, uh, or the Safety Act, as it's uh, as it's often known, uh, in terms of uh, ending cash bail, uh, reforming that that system in the state. And uh, we'll we'll have that's kind of the focus of our conversation today. We'll talk to uh, two of the state's attorneys that are. Uh, Closely uh, aligned with the the discussions and and, and potential changes, uh, DuPage County State's Attorney Bob Berlin and Champaign County State's Attorney Julia Reitz, uh, they'll both join us uh, on on the show today. Uh, the The big news out of this week in uh, the the General Assembly is uh, the election of two new Republican leaders, uh, House Republican Leader Jim Durkin announced the day after the election that he would not seek another term as leader. Uh, there was kind of a mad scramble afterward, but Representative Tony McCombie from Savannah uh, up in the Northwest corner of the state uh, is uh, was the choice of, of Republicans to uh, to become the new House Republican leader. She becomes the first uh, non-Chicago media market Republican leader since, as far as I can tell, the early 60s. Uh, George Ryan, I guess, is technically downstate uh, he, since he's from Kankakee. Uh, he was there in the late or the early '80s, uh, though. Um, you know, he's he's in the Chicago media market, so whether you call that downstate or not, we'll we'll let you decide that. But uh, McCombie is from uh, Carroll County, uh, up in the um, uh, far northwest uh, portion of the the state. Uh, generally regarded as an incredibly hardworking, likable. Uh, representative, you know, I, somebody I've I've gotten to know and, and uh, you know think think highly of, and and we'll be interested to see how things uh, shake out for her uh, after House Republicans essentially got got drubbed uh, on election day, and uh, we we'll, you know she's got a lot of work to do to to recruit better candidates to raise some money, which the the Durkin regime did a pretty poor job of, uh, and uh, in the Senate. Uh, Senate Republican leader Dan McConkey uh, was deposed uh, after the best uh, result for Republicans uh, in the Senate on Election Day in in years. Uh, they raised millions of dollars, which they hadn't done in decades. They they won two seats, uh, had a net net gain of one because uh, Democrats picked up a new seat in the Quad Cities area. Uh, so they netted one seat, which Republicans haven't done since 2014, Uh, but yet McConkie will be uh, replaced by John Curran, uh, the the more moderate uh, senator from uh, Downers Grove, uh, former University of Illinois football player, Uh, and uh, we'll um, see what kind of uh, uh, direction he brings to the caucus, what kind of changes he makes, uh, and maybe if you'll see a more moderate focused uh GOP in the Senate uh trying to make themselves relevant because obviously with 20 members it's it's hard to be relevant in in the Senate. So uh it, we'll keep an eye on those things, but two new Republican leaders uh as we head into the new general assembly in January. Uh let's uh let's turn our attention though to the hot button issue of veto session, which isn't really happening much this week but i think will be on everybody's minds when when the legislature returns to town in uh in in uh like two weeks. We're pleased now to join two of the uh, fine state's attorneys in our state that are heavily involved in the discussion about the Safety Act and, and Cash Bail, Pretrial Fairness Act, however exactly you want to define it. DuPage County State's Attorney Bob Berlin and Julia Reitz, the Champaign County State's Attorney. Bob's a Republican. Julia's is a Democrat. Uh, full disclosure, I worked on Julia's campaign in 2016 and have known her for many, many, many years uh, dating back to when I was a reporter. So uh, that, that said, Julia, is also the president of the uh, State's Attorneys Association in Illinois. So she's been uh, involved in the negotiations that uh, have been taking place uh, on, on what sort of legislative action will be taken on uh, the Pretrial Fairness Act and, and the cash bail part of the, the Safety Act. So, um, Bob, I want to start with you, if you don't mind, since, since you know, you you were included in a lot of the political uh angles that were used over the last few months um that that really tried to make this law look as if it's essentially the end of the world and uh we're going to mass do mass release of criminals what what's the truth behind this i mean why what is your 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 main concern as we approach january 1st on this law
0: so look Um, it's never been about politics for me or any of the state's attorneys. It's really about public safety. And I realize it was, it became a political issue. It was used in the campaign, but that was never my intention. And I don't think it was the intention of any of the state's attorneys, uh, in the state. We're concerned about public safety, which is why you see state's attorneys on both sides of the aisle working together. The biggest concern Uh, that I have and that we all have is that the Safety Act removes discretion from judges in making a determination of who should be in custody or out of custody pending trial. It takes away their ability in many cases to detain people if they're a danger to the community. And for categories of crime, not all crimes, but many categories of crime, the only way for a judge to detain someone is if they find they're a willful flight risk, uh, which is a difficult standard to prove. And it removes their ability to detain people if they're a threat to a person or the community or likely to uh, obstruct justice or intimidate witnesses. That's our biggest concern uh, is that when you take that ability to away, we are going to see more dangerous uh, defendants out on the street, and it's going to have a big impact on public safety.
1: Julia, the, there was a lot of pushback from Democrats, specifically the governor, um, on on the idea of non-detainable offenses, um, which which I, I I think might be a, a misnomer because it isn't necessarily listed that way in the law. Um, what's the as you read the law and again you're you know you're a democrat the governor's a democrat so it's not a partisan thing here as you read the law what's the what's your thought what's your concern on on the idea of what crimes or alleged crimes can and can't be considered for detainment well
2: i think bob is exactly right that the issue here is and it, it, the issue is Nobody is really, nobody is lying or, um, but maybe we're all kind of using our lawyer voices to um, put things into a perspective that fits our narrative, you know. So you're right. There isn't anything in the statute that says non detainable, but Bob is right when he says that there are certain offenses that can only be detainable if the court makes a specific finding about. Willful flight. And the definition of willful flight is very narrow and basically requires us to be able to show that somebody has a, a ticket to a bus ticket to Georgia or, you know, that sort of thing. It's a very um, specific and extreme definition. So I can give you some examples of offenses that would fall in that category um, that would only be detainable if there was this willful flight risk driving under the influence of alcohol, um, someone with multiple DUIs is not detainable unless we can show this willful flight risk. Um, intimidation, um, threatening a public official is not detainable unless we can show this willful flight risk. So if somebody calls up and threatens me, Bob- The,
1: the guy that threatened Darren Bailey in the in the weeks leading yep. up to the election
2: that is not detainable unless we can show that that person is a willful flight risk. Um, and so, so I think that our concerns, just like Bob said, are about public safety. And we understand that there is no, there's no black and white in these situations. There's a whole lot of grays in every case. And we want judges to be able to look at each case on its merits, on its facts, on its history and make decisions um, in that individual basis. That's why they're judges. I mean, that's why they get elected, that's why they get chosen, um, to use their their judgment in making these big decisions. And they shouldn't be hampered by a list of of offenses that the legislature has chosen um, that prevents them from being able to address these bigger public safety
1: Bob, in the end, is that what this comes down to, is judges need need more um, more flexibility under, under the way the law is written?
0: That's what we're asking for. That's what they have in New Jersey. The judge is really in the best position to make that decision. They hear the facts of the case. They're going to hear about a person's background, um, anything in aggravation, any reason why he should be detained, and then they're going to hear from a defense attorney uh, as to reasons why uh, the defendant is not a risk, why they can be released or released with conditions. And the judge should be the person that makes that determination, not the General Assembly. It's hard to put crime into a specific category. Uh, you know, you could have a relatively minor criminal damage to property offense where 99 out of 100 times everyone's going to agree this person's not a risk. They should be released. But what if one out of 100 cases the police find uh, a list of people that the person wants to kill? Now maybe this person is a risk to the community and our point is a judge should have the ability in that situation to detain that person pre-trial.
1: Julia, I, I can, you know, and I'm trying not to make this a partisan But but obviously, you know, Democrat, there are Democrats out there who are who are defending what's in the law and essentially saying that, you know, ending cash bail ends the idea that um, anyone can buy their way out of jail, Uh, which can or can't be the case, depending on on the standards that some judges use for for setting bail. But is the end of cash and and baba i want I'll, I'll ask you too since you're on the other side of the political aisle here but but julia first if, if you will is ending cash bail if if everything along the lines that you guys are talking about giving judges more discretion to say hey you're a bad dude you need to be held pending trial is 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 ending cash bail that re- really that big of a deal in the end?
2: Well, so it's and it's not just about the ending cash bail part of things. There's also a whole lot of other things that have been put into this new law um, that logistically are very difficult, not just for prosecutors, but also for defense attorneys um, that the, uh, one of the biggest points of this whole new new law is that it creates an entirely new and different process that's much more um, significant on the front end. So defense attorneys are going to have to do a lot more um, as far as communicating with their clients, receiving and reviewing uh, reports. And um, there's there's just a lot more on the front end that is causing a lot of concern um, from them as well. The cash bail part of it, um, in some ways that's actually good for us. You know, there are certainly people A dangerous people who come in, we charge them with serious offenses. A judge sets a high bond and somehow or another, they manage to come up with a large amount of cash and bond themselves out or their families do, or even there are agencies, there are organizations across the state, bailout organizations who post money for people to get them released. So those people under this new system, if a judge finds them to be appropriate for a, a detention, they're not gonna have the ability to bond themselves out. And in some senses, we may end up having the same number or even more people being held pre-trial. Um, one of the offenses that is detainable is domestic battery, misdemeanor domestic battery. We may have people being held on misdemeanor domestic batteries that previously would have been able to post money and be released. Um, So it's not the money part, really, Um, it's the entire process part. And what is frustrating, I think, for us um, is that we were not involved at the beginning. And now, as January 1st comes upon us, there's all these commissions, Supreme Court commissions. We're on, I don't know how many many commissions I'm on, Bob. I don't know if you know how many you're on. You know, it seems like we're always on a Zoom call. Um, And always discussing something about how is this going to work? How is that going to work? And across the state of Illinois, everyone's trying to figure that out. You know, from large counties like DuPage down to single state's attorney, you know, one man offices like Ford County near me, um, we're all trying to figure out how to make this work. And, And I think that is probably the biggest frustration, more so than the cash bail, not cash bail logistics.
1: Same question to you, Bob, is is ending cash bail really in the end that big of a deal?
0: As long as we have a strong preventive detention statute, the answer is no, it's not a big deal. You know, um, the state's attorneys association for the past two years has consistently held the position that in theory, we were never opposed to eliminating cash bail as long as there was a strong preventive detention statute that gave judges discretion to detain the right people to protect the community. Um, and as Julia pointed out, we've had cases here where judges set bond at $2 million or $3 million with the understanding there's no way this defendant is going to post and they do post and they get out uh, and nobody wants that with a strong preventive detention statute where you have no bond, in these cases, they can't get out. So in theory, eliminating cash bail really isn't such a huge uh, shock to the system as long as you have that strong statute. I will say this, uh, for many counties in this state, uh, there's a huge financial hit from eliminating cash bail because that money has funded parts of their criminal justice system and there's no uh, replacement there was no funding replacement for that money uh, in the safety act and one of the biggest issues is a lot of that money gets used to reimburse victims uh, in restitution And without that money there's no question that victims are going to see less of it coming in and it does have a big impact on the system
1: julia i know you've been you know both of you have both have been involved in the the discussions with the house uh working group on on this issue you know there's no action this week in the legislature but but when they come back in two weeks after thanksgiving there's there's an assumption that there's going to be at least some sort of a vote on um on some sort of a bill that's going to amend this law uh where do those negotiations stand at this point i I know that you're not going to violate any internal conversations, but just as, as you can explain it now, where do things stand?
2: Um, well, at this point we're waiting to, you know, we have met, I don't know how many hours, at least two to three times a week, two, sometimes more hours a day um, going through the the act. And we have uh, been following Senator Bennett's bill, um, which we support and, um, So we'll take some provision in Senator Bennett's bill and compare it to a provision um, provided by the advocates and discuss whether we can come to an agreement on that particular issue. And there are some issues that the advocates, the proponents of the Safety Act have agreed need to be fixed. Um, And they are willing to agree um, with us on those situations. There are other bigger picture issues like the detention net, um, like the detainable offenses that we're not going to agree on. And what I understand is happening at this point is that the legislators now have to look at, they. the legislators basically listen to us, go back and forth with the advocates, and they're going to have to decide where they fall um, and what they're going to put forward. We're hopeful that we'll be involved in that process and that we'll, you know, receive what they plan on putting forward and can you know give our opinion on that but
1: but, what- but are the progressives who who are really pushing this are they going to get behind any legislation that makes it easier to detain someone who's charged with a crime
2: I don't know and that's really the biggest problem um, I do know that there are democrat elected officials who understand that this is their one chance to make this work. And if it doesn't work, that in 2024 that's going to be hung around all of our shoulders, right? Um and so they understand and and, and also just they want things, they want this to work. They want their public safety to be, you know, the the issue that that is of biggest concern. They want um, to to make this work, as far as the goals of of the no cash bail and the goals of protecting public safety. Um, the question is whether whether we can come to an agreement, um, and whether and, and always you know how you count the votes, right? I mean. Can we get Republicans, if, if we get something that we want, that we're comfortable with, we state's attorneys, can, you know, can Republicans come to the table? Is everybody going to be so politically idealistic that they're going to dig their heels in? Those are all the questions that we don't have the answers to now. And I guess we're going to have to wait and see next week what language comes out and and frankly, whether we get behind it or not. You know, that, that's a big question.
1: But, Bob, essentially, you're the only Republican in the room. You know, Republican legislators haven't been involved in any of these discussions, and and uh, Representative Windhorse, who who I've talked to before, is you know former state's attorney who I've who have talked to about this has has opened the door to Republicans being willing to vote to end cash bail, uh, but but that the Republicans seem to be completely pushed out of of these discussions are from from someone who is on the different political spectrum of the guys who are running the show here. What's your takeaway on these discussions as you see the majority party trying to handle the, this is probably a generalization the the law and order type Democrat of a Scott Bennett, who's a former prosecutor and, and maybe the more progressive uh, you know, anti anti, uh, you know, anti-lock them up and throw away the key crowd in in the Democratic Party. What's your what's your takeaway as you've seen these negotiations unfold?
0: So, you know, um, obviously, Julia and I, we didn't have any control over who was going to be part of these discussions and these negotiations. Uh, We were invited and, uh, you know, we have taken part. Uh, for the past seven or eight weeks in these discussions um yeah it's it's hard to know uh, why Republic, republicans weren't invited at least one to be part of these discussions uh i you know i'm not going to begin to speculate why that's the case i do know that the safety act obviously was passed on partisan lines but it's my hope that when we're talking about public safety Uh, This is an issue that Republicans and Democrats uh, have come together on before uh, and can come together on if we get the right language. Uh, It's my hope that if we get what we're asking for, we can get uh, legislators from both sides to support it. Uh, And uh, as you know, when both sides support a bill and you actually get a bipartisan vote, that's good for the public. I think uh, the public gets behind it.
1: Well, would you whip know. votes if, if it were
0: if it were a bill you liked? If it was a bill that yes, if it had the language what we're asking for, uh, I would do everything I can to get Republicans to support it. But it has to have what we're asking for.
1: Can I talk about crime in general? Uh, you know, I, I think you know I. Most of the people who who watch this and and read the newsletter know that I'm a I'm a downstater originally, lived in Champaign County for many years and uh, live in the Chicago suburbs now in in Cook County suburbs, just maybe three or four miles as the the crow flies from from DuPage County. Um, But I think a lot of the issue with the Cook County crime. Problem, whether you. And it's clearly a problem. I don't think that's a me out on a line out on a limb here, but there there's a huge problem in my view of of whether the Cook County State's Attorney's Office is prosecuting criminals, prosecuting people who are habitual criminals who have, you know, been, accused of of multiple carjackings or multiple shootings or multiple gun offenses or multiple or multiple, uh, robberies. Does this come down to Julia, the, the issue of why someone like Kim Fox or, you know, insert prosecutor here, uh, isn't willing to, to charge people and, and just continue to let them out on the street?
2: Well, okay. So I'm not going to, I don't want to second guess a fellow prosecutor. And, and
1: I'm not asking you to bash somebody, but but you right. you have to make these charging decisions too. And you're charging things that, that Kim Fox isn't.
2: Well, I think from the perspective of this safety act and crime, what has been most frustrating for for me and others of us is that A lot of the decisions that went into the creation of the Safety Act were based on issues coming out of a certain county. Um, And what we tried to do in our negotiations is to bring in the issues and concerns of other counties across the state. There are 102 counties in Illinois. Some of them, again, like I said, are one elected state's attorney and maybe a part-time secretary but they have the same responsibilities and the same concerns as as all of the rest of us do. Um, I do think that there are ways that we as elected officials can resolve um, and address some of the issues in the criminal justice system based on the policies that we create within our own offices and within our own communities. And those, issues do not need to be addressed by statewide um, legislation that upends the way everyone does business in their own communities. Um, So there there was just a study done um, that that we sent around to everyone involved in these discussions out of Loyola University um, looking at the decision making um, when it comes to charging because the all of us charge review and charge felonies um, in our offices. But in Cook County, here's an, ex- an example, in Cook County, they what's called direct file um, all drug offenses. And that means that the police officers are the ones who are making the initial charging decision. And then the cases are going from there. And th- that process has implications through all the way down the rest of the system as far as what the end result is uh, being different from it, the way that it might be if a prosecutor looked at it, looking at it from our lens of our burden of proof um, and what we have to put in front of a, a jury. So those kinds of policy decisions can affect um, the bigger picture. And we I would rather that we be the ones making those decisions than that. Legislators
1: Come here. make policy for the entire state that doesn't what about from your perspective, Bob? I mean, you're obviously you know right next to, to Cook County. You you've had some some issues where Cook County crimes have spilled over into DuPage County. Is this a is this a, a an issue with prosecutorial discretion or is this a a, a, a bigger issue?
0: Okay. What I can tell you is that almost half of our felonies now are committed by people that don't live in DuPage County, many of whom are coming from Cook County and Chicago. We've seen a huge increase in violent crime uh, by offenders coming from Chicago, some of whom are on probation or on parole. So it is a real problem. And while I value, uh, violence prevention programs and efforts and I and actually have taken part in efforts through fight crime investing kids to prevent people from committing crimes in the first place that can't be in lieu of prosecution and holding people accountable
1: but is the lock them up and throw away the key mentality you know maybe that anti-crime prerogative that that kind of brewed in the 90s is that does that still did it ever work i guess is a bigger question but but is that working
0: in this instance it can't be uh the only way to stop crime but it is certainly a key part of it you can't just arrest and prosecute your way out of the crime problem clearly we need more investment uh in communities uh we need better education better programming however You can't have one without the other. You still have to hold people accountable and you have to take violent criminals off the street. These crimes have a huge impact on the community and people right now are genuinely afraid. I hear it all the time. People Mm -hmm. are afraid to go out. They're afraid to go to the shopping mall. We can't live like that. No, a lot of
1: suburbanites who don't want to go downtown.
0: Yeah, so both parts of the
1: equation are very important. yeah. And I'll let you guys go here in just a second. Um, That's what I, what
2: I put in the in the little chat, is um, both and. It's not an either or. It's not a either programs or lock them up. It's a both and. We've got to try to prevent things, but when we have these issues, we have to address them. Um, and, and I want to throw into, you know, Patrick, because you, you were you lived here and you know Champaign County, it's really easy in Champaign County and I think in a lot of other places to say, oh, it's the crime from Chicago coming down here. You know, Bob can say that because you're right there. Um, I always, when somebody says, oh, this is just Chicago problems coming to our community because you know we have significant gun violence issues right here in Champaign County, um, that that I don't use that as an excuse for the people, um, for the, you know, For what's going on here in my home you know these are our young people we have to address this um, and not just pass it off on oh it's cook county Um, there's an element of that in many ways but crime gun violence the things we're all experiencing right now um it's not unique to cook county so it's it's a both and
1: Uh, and and julia since you're you know you have the the prerogative of of the entire group of 102 states attorneys in the state dozens of your colleagues have have filed uh a lawsuit which has kind of been combined into one uh at this point that that would that is attempting to to find the 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 law unconstitutional uh you know tom devore kind of had the the silly idea that it was the you know single issue uh law which that's been passed by many, many times, but um, does does the idea that that m- multiple states attorneys, mostly Republicans, uh, does that hurt your chances of trying to to make the fixes that you're looking for?
2: Well, I, we've chosen to have basically a, a dual path here. I'm the president of the association. Um, we by we i mean myself bob jamie mosser jody who's from peoria county um, have been involved in the negotiations and then there's another group of states attorneys who have chosen to file litigation and move forward we're not competing we're not adversarial amongst ourselves um whatever either way what however we can get this um to the right place we're going to be you know we're working together in that respect Um, and certainly if legislatively things do not go the way that we are hopeful they will go um, bob myself jamie jody we're all going to have to look at um, the situation and decide whether we join our colleagues in the litigation Um,
1: and bob final question for you is is on that i mean how optimistic are you that there will be a legislative fix i mean you're you know, I, I, again, as, as the other party of the one who's in these conversations, you know, you, you probably have a more critical eye than somebody who's, who's on the same team. Um, how, how
2: you keep saying that, but I feel like
1: you should know me better than that. Well, I, and I, I do know you better than that, but I mean, you, you know, I mean, but there is, you know, there is a partisan affiliation and there is a partisan part of this. There is,
2: but at the beginning, when I was first elected in 2004, um, I went to a State's Attorney's Association conference and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, people are gonna be, it's gonna be awful. I'm, a, you know, I've just beat an incumbent Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a woman, I'm, you know, I'm new here. And everybody, you know, said, we are all colleagues. You know, I really believe that Democrat, Republican, what's more important to the 102 of us is that we are all colleagues. We are state's attorneys. We're prosecutors. That's what matters most um, to us. Maybe I'm idealistic in that sense, but, you know, I really don't see this as a political issue um, from my perspective. Either.
1: Sure. But the legislation, and I think that's the direction that I'm going going in for, for you, Bob, is, is is what's your level of optimism here? And if, if there isn't a fix next week uh, or in two weeks, um, What happens? What do you guys do then when it happens when we get to January 1st?
0: So uh, the first part of the question is, you know, I'm still cautiously optimistic uh, that something is going to happen here. That there's going to be the improvements that we're looking for to make this law better. None of us are saying you have to bring back cash bail. We've accepted we're eliminating cash bail. We're okay with that as long as we have this strong preventive detention statute. I'm still hopeful uh, that um, we're going to follow the New Jersey model. I think the legislators are well aware of what's happened in New York. New York's law, when they eliminated cash bail, really took the discretion of judges away. They had a 36% increase in crime over a two year period. New Jersey gave judges discretion. They did not see a real increase in crime. So that is the model. Uh, I'm still hopeful that it's going to happen. If there is no changes, if there are no changes, we get to January 1st. uh, Unfortunately, I think we're going to see a situation of chaos across the state because some counties are taking the position the law is prospective only. It applies to crimes committed on or after January 1st. Other counties are going to be doing detention hearings uh, all through the month of December. And judges across the state are going to be interpreting provisions of this law differently, inconsistently, uh, and uh, unfortunately, we will see more violent criminals uh, out on the street, and it's going to have an impact. On the
1: and Julie, I'll give you the last word here. I mean, that's one of the Republican complaints: was that January first, we're going to have to open up county jail doors. And, and let all these bad guys out on the street and they they reference that silly horror movie the purge you know in in the campaign in 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 reality be be you know you know no hyperbole and i i know you don't you don't you're not that kind of person and i appreciate that but um you know for those that, that don't know you that as well as i do that what what do we really expect if there's no fix by january 1st
2: Um, Confusion and what Bob said, some counties are going to look at things one way, others um, a different way. um, I know here in Champaign County, with Rosenbaum, we've been talking and originally we were thinking we were going to do detention hearings the last couple of weeks of December. Now he's looking at it as, you know, we can consider this prospective only. Maybe we'll do hearings later. Um, But I know there are other counties um, that are that have already decided this is retrospective. and maybe that's a philosophical or political decision. Lake County, for example, I know he's made the decision that he's going to have hearings in December, and by he I mean the state's attorney. You know, and confusion, and that it shouldn't be that way. The state of Illinois, you know, should be consistent across the state when it comes to these major policy issues, um, and I I think that's that's a huge problem coming into this, um, and even you know the the state. The Supreme Court has all these committees, and a lot of the the um, advice that's coming out of the committees is meet with your um, judges and your public defenders and decide how you're going to do it. That's not law, you know. That's that's not the way to make change um, across the board in a, in a state as large and diverse as it is.
1: Julie Reitz, the state's attorney in Champaign County. Bob Berlin, the state's attorney in. Uh, DuPage County. Uh, thank you both for for great conversation, for uh, for kind of pushing aside some of the campaign rhetoric that we had from both sides. It's nice to get uh, honest discussion about these things. So thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Pedro.
1: That's Bob Berlin, the state's attorney from DuPage County, and Julia Reitz, the state's attorney from Champaign County, uh, who are deeply involved in discussions of how to uh change the the cash bail part of of the safety act the uh the 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 cash bail pretrial fairness part of of the bill uh that that has uh caused so much uh discussion and so much uh uh confusion over the last uh, few weeks so uh it, it's interesting to hear from them and get their perspective and uh, and and we'll see how things shake out over the next couple of weeks. As far as I I know, there's there's no language agreed to uh, in in terms of of what might get get changed next week and or in two weeks. And uh, it doesn't sound like uh, there's a lot of movement yet. So hopefully we'll get there. Uh, hopefully we can. You know, I, I've I've said from the start that uh, judges just need the flexibility to be able to say. If you're a threat to the community, if you're a threat to a person, if you're uh, a flight risk, if you're a bad dude, you know, you should be, you should be held waiting trial. Uh, and, and I don't think it's out of line for, for both sides to get on board with that, but I'm just one guy, I guess. So thanks so much for taking time with us uh, today on our, our live stream. And if you're listening to the podcast, uh, we do appreciate it. Sign up for the newsletter at theillinois.com. And we'll talk to you soon right here on our uh, weekly, uh, the Illinois uh, podcast and uh, live stream. Uh, next week is Thanksgiving week. Um, we may or may not be here on on mon- on Wednesday the 23rd. So uh, uh, keep, keep up on the newsletter. We'll fill you in then. Uh, thanks so
0: much and have a, a great week.